Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai. And you're listening to Quiet, Please. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hiya, boys. Nice day for golf, eh? Quiet, please. Oh, you got secrets, eh? Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the... Hey, you guys. Hey, we're trying to have a podcast over here. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Quiet, Please, the golf podcast. I am Alan DePue. Your host for the next uh, 45 minutes or so, and I am joined as always by our panel of esteemed golf knowledgeable individuals to my left, Mr. Little Linksters, and I got some special news for everybody out there about him in a minute. I want to give him the special props, but Brendan Elliott, welcome. I, I got to ask our guest about some of that stuff. Well, too. we're going to. I'm, <laughs> I, I, got, I, did, I do have a couple of show notes and on the back of a napkin, but... Um, you know, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to talk in a second. Boston Bob Baldessari, also uh, hailing from the Bourbon Country now. Cheers, cheers, cheers. And Bourbon noted, Bob, noted golf columnist and knowledge of all things golf, Jeff Babito on the panel once again. Hello, sir. Hello, gentlemen. Good. So, Bob's Babs is in the house, and timing is impeccable because. Our Brendan Elliott just got his credential for the tour. Congrats, sir. Yeah, and I'm not sure how all this works. I just thought <laughs> I'd put in because I, I was going to the PNC and uh, one of the one of the outlets I write for um, wasn't in their database when I was trying to get in there. And the lady from PGA headquarters emailed me back. She goes, typically, this isn't how it works, but I'll prove you. Um, for Sports Skeeta, which is based out of India, but they're they're pretty pretty big they get pretty pretty big following so yeah i put in for the pnc so i'll see what happens i know jeff knows all about this stuff but this is all new to me so i like it man you're you're writing more than uh edgar Allan poe over there <laughs> see that byline man i'm glad for you Happy. thank you thank you that is true i see i see article after article online you are just you're pen to paper yeah. all the time right now my buddy Jay Coffin, who Bab knows, he he texted me the other day and said, "You're writing a lot." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying it a lot, and I've been learning a lot too." Good stuff. Share that knowledge. And he has a wealth of it, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, hey guys, uh, anybody playing this week? No. There's golf. Yeah, there's golf this week. Well, there's there's golf and then there's Tiger Golf. And so Tiger Golf is back. So now there's golf. There's golf. Yes. All right. So let's go right there. Jeff, we're gonna ask we're gonna start it with you. you Tiger. You wanna know country. about the you wanna know the return of Will Zalatoris? Well, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I have that on the list also. All right. yeah. I did put that on that Will Zalatoris is back using a broomstick this week. <laughs> He's back, and that Tiger guy's back. And, you know, Tiger did his presser yesterday, I guess. Um, And I've been there for a few editions of the Tiger comeback in the Bahamas and not there this year. But uh, he sounded very optimistic. I mean, if Tiger is able to walk a golf course, which was a huge hindrance, not being able to do that, now he's saying he's feeling no pain. When it comes down to, you know, Swinging a golf club and hitting golf shots, he's pretty good in that area. So, you know, I may I've I've gone hook, line, and sinker before, but I mean, I I liked his optimism and, uh, you know, when he talked about playing maybe one tournament a month, you know, probably maybe a little less, but that's quite a pace. I mean, I think the average golf fan would love to see that. Yeah, and I, I thought the same thing, and I was thinking back to what Andy said last last show about he's kind of over it. He's still a fan, but he's kind of over it with all these start and stops and comebacks. And that what Jeff said was what I took from the, from his press uh, conference was that he 
sounded more optimistic than he has in the past. So, again, Father Time's catching up with him too, but he is Tiger Woods, so you can't put anything past him, I guess. Bobby? He usually usually wouldn't play in front of a major, but he's playing in front of a father-son, so it's risky. Yeah, from everything I saw and and heard and, you know, even looking at his body language, it looks like, yeah, he's – He's confident he's back. It'll be interesting, I'm sure, round one. It'll probably go something like round one, a little bit rusty, but he plays pretty decent, probably plays pretty well in round two, three. The weather looks to be nice, low 80s, not much wind or any winds crosswind, uh, small greens, but still you got to believe he plays well. I'd be interested in that last round, how he can physically feel. But, I mean, you know, I'm I'm taking Allen's uh, advice. I'm betting him to finish in top 20. Yeah, I like it. Uh, that's, better, that's, better, that's better than my uh, bet line <laughs> last night. I mean, my, if, if my parlay. <laughs> the, the best case scenario might be he can be, what, maybe around the top five-ish, seven, eight, you know, super respectable. Um, I'm wondering, well, yeah, it was exciting with Zalatoris with the – he's got a lab putter, Bill Pressey, way yep. to go, Bill. Um, Bill's going to be joining us, I think, one of these shows coming up soon. Uh, but that was exciting to see more of his uh, lab putter, the Mez out there. And um, I, I'm I'm kind of wondering, thinking Keegan Bradley has a really good tournament. I think he's probably wicked pissed about still maybe the Ryder Cup. I think he plays well. I think I think the I mean Tiger's obviously the eternal optimist. I mean he, he is the king of self talk. You know, getting always getting a little better. How I'm doing, hitting the good out there. He's always always positive. Got the own. His own positive energy about it, but the guys are all talking about it. I love the one quote from uh, Scotty, he, he, how he, he's like, you know, I love when you turn around and you look down the range and he's on the range, and it's a different, it's just a different sound coming off the club face. And uh, I'm I'm excited for what is this Tiger 5.0? <laughs> five point oh five six. Yeah. <laughs> There's two. I think there's two versions of Tiger we've seen in the comeback mode, right? The the wounded guy that hobbles around and his back hurts, and then there's the guy that has speed. And the guy that has speed, I think, makes everyone on the range stop and look over and see what that guy has because he's just a different guy with that. And and you know, who knows? I always knew he would come back and win a major. I always maintained that he was too stubborn not to. And now I think he's really driven by the something in the back of his mind that says, you know, I might play the PGA Tour with my kid one of these days, and I might hang around for that. So he, who knows what motivates him, but something keeps that fire lit. And uh, he's a dangerous guy when the fire's lit. I would I would have been impressed to see, talking about speed, unfortunately, turning right, he doesn't have, he, he had a little too much speed on that turn. Um, what it would have been after L.A., after that comeback, because I thought he was on a trajectory then before this latest, obviously, physical uh, dilemma he found himself in with the car injury and everything that's come out of that. I mean, hell, just saving his life was the first the first and most important mm. part of it out of the after the accident and saving the leg. But, I mean, God, that swing looks really good, Brendan. Well, I, I did an article for PGA.com yesterday. I posted about the average golfer can take from him and um, the injuries we all tend to deal with is, as we get older. Um, Tiger's the first that'll tell you in the past, he maybe had, you know, sped up the process a little too quick and got out there a little too fast or um, it, you know, you have to, what he's done really well, especially before this latest surgery is he recreated a swing that would work with what his body was giving him, and and people can take from that. You know, a lot a lot of us as we get older and our bodies bodies don't move, let alone injury, but our bodies don't move the way they did when we were younger. Um, we try to keep doing things the same way that we did when we were younger, and that just that recipe doesn't work. So, you know, if the one of the best of all time recreates his swing, and he plays for a living too, so it really matters. You know, we can take something from that where we can recreate our swing or our approach. Um, if there's nothing physically that we're really dealing with, just the way we go about playing the game. 
Kabebs, that was, uh, as usual, Jeff Babbitt with the keen insight about Tiger thinking about playing with Charlie. Like, I never yeah. even thought of that. I did think about Tiger's tied with Sam Snead for 82 wins all the time. And I wondered if that was more, you know, but that's that's fascinating about the Charlie thing. But, yeah, I wondered, like, what's his driving force? He's one of those guys like a Tom Brady or whoever. You get something in him and it just, the, the burning desire goes crazy. And then I wondered, is does he want to stay out there to be Kathy Whitworth's all-time professional record? He wants Jack. Jack was the one he circled, right? That's the one he hunted. Yeah. I don't know that the PGA Tour all-time record. I'm sure it'd be nice. Uh, I think Brandel Chambly was making the point that Snead has a handful of team events that he won. It's like crediting a track guy winning a relay, you know, um, which is somewhat true. But Tiger's 82 are individual, and that's that's a record. Um, but I, I always thought he was driven by Jack and. And and that that was the mark that really moved him. Oh yeah, yeah. Bobby, did you see he's got a uh, new driver in the bag? He's got that. New, he's got that new TaylorMade uh, Q1 prototype. He's got in the bag this week. Yeah, I don't know much about it. Just that he was putting a new driver in there. You have that same driver? I I no. <laughs> <laughs> He's light four ninety nine. If he did, <laughs> Tiger picked it up on a special at you know PJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, picked it up from a Dix uh, a Dixon PGA golf professional that was uh, fitting him in the in the netting. Now so I wanted to ask, I wanted to mention a Babs because uh, I know you made a comment too, and um, I've only met uh, Steve a couple of times, but Steve Demaglio, the writer, and he's had a lot of health issues and. We wish him the absolute best, and he was always really nice and kind. I would shake his hand and say hi at the uh, PGA Championship or things I was at with the PGA, and I know you're a good friend of his, and that was uh, neat to see him back out there. Yeah, it was a really good – you know, Tiger had a great – they had a great picture of Tiger's reaction when he saw him, you know, went up to him after the the presser, and uh, it's great to see him back there. Yeah, I heard his voice in the presser, and I was like, it sounded like Steve Demeglio, and it's good to hear, so – Good for him. Hope he gets a lot of sunshine this week and enjoys some good Bahamas fresh air. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, any have you heard anything or any more scuttlebutt about uh in his presser? Now he's been on now he's been uh, put on the policy board. Hmm. And everybody's making a big deal out of those three words. Can't happen again. In reference to the the Saudi deal. So what are you hearing about that? I mean, look, he wants to make his – he's made his mark on the game as a player. Now he can still influence the game, you know, as an administrator on, on the policy board, as a player rep. What, what it did was it tilted the scales toward the players, and the players felt blindsided by the June announcement about the, you know, the uh, relationship coming up with PIF and, and the deal supposed to be done by the end of December, which I don't – I don't know that that's going to happen to probably extend it, but um, it just gives them a chance. It gives all the players a chance to have, have a say where they're not going to be blindsided on anything. Again, they're, they're going to be in the room and uh, hear things through. I, I'm convinced what happened on June 6th would not have happened with players in the room. So I kind of saw it both ways, but um, yeah, it's interesting that he's adamant about that. And the, all the lot, a lot of players got their feelings hurt by, they don't like surprises, so uh, they won't see a lot of those coming up. And is there anything you could uh, kind of off of that? Is there anything you can read into the fact that Rory stepped down from the policy board? Is that to just to focus on the game again, or yeah, just I mean, I think it's a lot. I mean, you're I've seen the guys on the on the policy board. You know, Spieth went on in Rory's place, and I've seen guys go up there with a couple bags of balls to start hitting balls on a range, and everybody approaches them. And you're, you know, it's a turnstile out there of guys with issues. You know, the 125 guy doesn't have the same concerns that the number 10 guy does and playing opportunities. And you're supposed to represent everybody. So it's busy. And, and Rory's a busy guy. And it probably is good that he lends a little more focus to his golf because his golf's awfully good. But there's a finite window in there to get to all those majors uh, start and collect those again. So. It totally makes sense to me. 
I was, I'm curious, Jeff, if you would have any knowledge of how the players felt before this all went down this summer on where they stood as far as decision-making. And it was this something that really is, is it seems in, in the media that it really caught them off guard. Yeah. I mean, this was done in a small room with a handful of guys and it totally caught them off guard. I mean, Guy, and that's going to hurt some feelings. I mean, Tiger, you know, the the sweat equity they've put into this PGA Tour, they don't need to be surprised by anything. It's it quote unquote is their tour mm-hmm. uh, now. With the way the board is set up, it assures that it's their tour. Um, and it's who knows? It, like I, I think he nails it when he says there are so many moving parts of this thing. Uh, I think one big angle of, of this is what's going to happen to all the charity dollars. Yeah. There's not a lot of pie left over when you start playing for 20 million bucks a week. So um, it's it's an interesting ground. They're all trading across right now, and, and there's a lot to sort out, and I don't see it happening in 30 or so days. No. No, no, no. <laughs> and that was something the tour really hung their hat on is how much they do more charitable dollars than any of the yeah. other major sports put together. So that's something to really be considered moving forward. Oh, by far, man, by far the best charity dollars, best retirement program. I don't know if that's impacted, uh, you know, this whole new venture that the tour is kind of breaking off with this. The new business model is a for-profit model. Tournaments are going to be structured differently. There's so many things going on, Um, you know, and and I like that Tiger came back to the fact that there's, there's an essence of the tour that you're trying to preserve. Um, but you you do lose some of that when you're out there playing for twenty million dollars every week. I mean, it's yeah, the average Joe isn't uh, in touch with that. So it's just uh, kind of some some strange ground they're going on to, and there's a lot of big decisions to be made. Bobby, uh, about what? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to follow Jeff Babineau because it's just like I'm I'm. I just get mesmerized by his, <laughs> his words. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a new day. I, uh, I don't know. I, I still, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, being in my dad's golf shop at Hillary country club the year, um, there was either Tom Kite or Kurt Strange was hitting a million and, and yeah. even, you know, some of those marks along the way in my life that, Members of the club were just like, my God, the guy won 50000 to win a tournament. He won 100000 How can you win a million? And, you know, it's uh, it's just they keep breaking new ground. But it is uh, one thing I did see in today that was in the news that is good to see. And, and I've tried to do as much as I can for women in golf in my career. But um, worldwide, it will be over a billion dollars of revenue as far as women sports this year in 2024 between media rights gate on and on. So um, maybe the playing field is starting to pick up for the ladies for sure. Well, you know, it's interesting as, as you guys know, uh, Jeff, I actually just got back literally just got back from uh, Michigan, the Michigan golf course owners conference. I was speaking out there and one of the slides that NGF put out, we talked about it last week about the three, three uh, buckets, off course hybrid and then on course only but the percentage of golfers now that are women golfers in the off course particularly it's like 41% yeah i mean it's it's i think on green grass is up to 28% so it, i mean it is tremendous to see the the rise in uh female pot, uh, participation there's always an area that i good Babs. Well, it's, it's an amazing number that kind of quietly came out during the CME Globe uh, or during the Tour Championship CME Group. Uh, I think in two years the number is like sixty million dollars. Purses have gone up on the LPGA, and yep. now there are fifteen or sixteen of three million dollars or more. I mean, that's that's awesome because it wasn't that long ago you could play an LPGA schedule with a card and lose money for the year. Yeah. And uh, and that just shouldn't be. I mean, these are the best players in the world. They put on a show every week. Uh, you know, how many weeks do you are you there for five, six days, miss a cut and go home, you know, with nothing. 
Um, so just to see that, that increase, I mean, I, I think it was a really newsy item that didn't get the attention it probably should have. And, and I hate to say it, but they're more engaging to the, than, than the, their male counterparts. I mean, the little kids that are standing there, they, you know, I've, I was down to Seaview and I'm, I'm watching the Lydia Copeland off the 18th grade and she was a presser and she stood there and signed every kid's, you know, and I know there's other guys, I know there's Rickies of the world, but it seems like as a greater percentage, the LPGA girl are just very engaging with the fans and appreciative of their support. Yeah, from, go ahead, Bob. Well, from, I was going to say, from a green grass standpoint, the business of the game, the business of golf, uh, the if, if anybody's paying attention to focus on women to get into the game, that's where you're really going to grow your business. The women control 98% of your schedule, of the household schedule, over 90% of the household spend. If the ladies come in, they bring the kids, they bring the husbands. That's a central point of what I've tried to do at my facilities is, yeah, there's always stuff for guys and youth, but special attention to women's golf, to newer ladies into the game, really engaging events. You want to grow your business, focus on women's golf. Yeah, I had two thoughts, you know, um, from the professional side. With the purses going up, that's fantastic. Not just on, you know, the, the LPGA tour, but all the, the, the tours underneath. That's great because um, some of those girls really were trying to work their way onto the LPGA tour that are the future of the LPGA tour, there's, those are the ones that really struggle and have to rely on, you know, the local community to house them and other things because the expenses are crazy. But as we see the purses go up, we somehow, some way, they've got to, you know, get on TV more often and, and you know, where people can see them and, and the majors that they have, the five majors they have, they have to be elevated not just from a financial standpoint for the players, but being broadcast and being put out there because it is for the average male or female golfer. Those are the swings that you want to watch. Those are the swings you want to emulate. And those are the players that you want to kind of mold your game around because let's face it. Most of us can't do that with the, with the men on the PGA tour. And then, you know, I was thinking about last week on the on the recreational side about those three silos you were talking about, Alan. And I, I really didn't think about I didn't have an opinion prior to our conversation about how we've kind of split everything up into these three different silos. Um, I was always of the opinion that it, they were just kind of doing that to make the numbers look better and make us that work in the industry feel a little bit better. I still believe that's the case. But at the same time people have golf clubs in their hand that may not step on a regular golf course. That's a good thing. I mean, it's going to sell golf clubs. It's going to sell all kinds of stuff uh, golf related. It's going to have them watching TV. And then we really didn't talk about, there's a huge population out there that don't do the off course that don't do the on course, but watch the PGA tour or watch the golf channel. So that's a whole nother huge population that we got to, you know, tap into. So, so, and I'm really interested to hear Jeff's opinion on it also. To your point about the, the majors, I think the majors are a challenge, in my opinion, that because unlike like Augusta, we Andy talks about venues all the time. There's not that venue that everybody, you know, the the uh not anymore. Not anymore. Yep, yeah, correct. With the dine with the with the di dinosaur moving to the where anyway. But with the women getting onto pebbles, pinehurst, yeah, right courses like that, is that going to give them the elevation and notoriety that will probably resonate more with the public? I th I think so for sure. And and what I love is you know one thing I love about covering the Masters is how excited the players are to be there. So now when you flip that around with the women and you go to Pebble Beach or St. Andrews or some of these great venues that they go to, uh, there's an excitement level there that they're now playing for history. This, this is where so much golf history has taken place. So the, the excitement around going to Pebble Beach this year was terrific. And I think all the majors have done a really nice job in bumping up the purse. Now that's, Let's help bring up that next tier 
up, right? When we have 15 or 16 events now offering 3 million plus in purse, that's great because the majors have le- they've elevated theirs so much that you kind of there has to be a boost there to kind of stay in the neighborhood. And uh that that's great, right? It's the the rising tide lifts all boats. So um but I to your point on venues, I think that's huge. I think it just means more. It means like they're excited because Pebble isn't just hosting the women's open. It's excited to have the women's open. Yep. And now it has maybe three more. I, I don't know that we're going to be around to, to see the last of the three. I don't think I will. Uh, but, you know, way out into the future. And, and it's exciting. It's something where young girl now can point to like, hey, I want to play in the, the open at Pebble Beach in 10 or 12 years. And, um, yeah, it's all all little stuff that just adds up to the to the snowball growing. I found the uh, I found the stats about as far as this year on the LPGA tour. Uh, this year on the LPGA tour, three ladies made over three million dollars this year alone. That's awesome. From well, from two thousand to two thousand twenty-two for twenty-two years, four players made over three million. Wow! So yeah. in twenty-two years, four players three million. This year alone, three players made over three million. The other great stat is. 28 golfers this year on the LPGA tour made over 1 million. The 1 million, and that's doubled since 2019. Um, I mean, just some really strong numbers as far as the purses have gone up, the players have played well. And it's whatever I keep seeing as far as the, the PGA LPGA tour, the Champions Tour, the LPGA Legends Tour, we are hosting yep. an LPGA Legends at the Woodford Club. And so the ladies are coming along with – opportunities, money, but also if you start to look at it, the athletic ability and the athletes that the Dustin Johnsons were coming in and now you see the Nelly Porters and it's just interesting. It's starting to shorten a little bit, I think. I mean, Babs is out there, he would know, but um, each each sort of generation and now this LPGA legends, basically the LPGA seniors, they're mobilizing under Jane Blaylock's leadership and many of the great ladies that now they're trying to get to where that champion store will be in a few years. So BE. We're I do to... have one more point, Alan, before All we right. tra- transition. All right. I'm thinking about this Annika, be- Annika <laughs> being an Augusta member and the clout that she already has with the great things she's doing for women's amateur golf. I wonder, and I think she said this, Jeff could correct me if I'm wrong. I think she said this, um, that her dream is to one day see a women's major at Augusta national. I think I read that somewhere. I'm going to edit you on that. Go ahead. <laughs> Billie Jean King, Billie Jean King said she wants to see it. Okay. I had just basically been announced as a member. I don't think she wanted to, she wasn't quite ready to speak to that. I'm sure she would love <laughs> to see a women's major there, but it actually was Billie Jean King. There you go. And, Thanks and, for the edit. Be, can I, <laughs> can I further edit or correct a, a Sure. Is it, Brennan? I, I thought she said when you were talking to her recently that she was going to get the four of us and we're going to take us as met, <laughs> as guests to play uh, it. Is, that, is there any truth to that? Well, one of us in this Brady Bunch foursome <laughs> here. <laughs> Looks like Brennan. No, I think 40, that I think that's long. <laughs> I don't. We didn't talk. I don't think we talked about that yet. But that's that's such a cool thing to see her. Uh, Get the, get that feather in her cap and and be offered membership at Augusta National. She's she does a lot for the game, a lot. I mean, she's super yeah. involved in women's golf. So good for her. So so great venues hold great competitions. Watch what I'm going to do, B. And one of those competitions is the Ryder Cup, and that's in the news today. In fact, Luke Donald is back. He. He kicked our ass hard enough this time to <laughs> bring him back to kick our ass again at Beth Page. Does that set up a Luke Donald versus Tiger? Does it set up, uh, you know? And then I have a, I want to pose a question. So while you're thinking about that, about who's going to captain, um, where would you like to see the Ryder Cup? If you could have a Ryder Cup on European soil as mm-hmm. well as on American soil. Where would you want to have a Ryder Cup? I'm going to let Jeff go first. Oh, wow. Well, your first question, I, I, was, I wasn't I was surprised to see Luke Donald take it on. He did such a great job. But he's 
five and zero, oh, I believe, as a player and captain now in the Ryder Cup. And he's he goes into the gauntlet now, trying to be a Ryder. He's a, he's kind of a quiet, mellow guy. He, he lit a nice fire under that team uh, this year, but in Italy. But uh, he goes into the fire now at Bethpage Black, and uh, that's that's a hard one. I mean, he has this pristine record in the Ryder Cup, and you put that all you know, you put that all on the line now. I mean, that's when when Azinger when they used to talk about Azinger should be the guy again after two thousand eight. I'm like, how does it end any better than that for you? You know, you won on home soil. You had all these Kentucky guys. You had fresh blood, and you won. And, and that's the greatest feeling you can have in the Ryder Cup. So why do you put that back on the line? But, you know, I think with all those captains kind of out of the mix on the European side that, that have gone to live, they kind of need a couple guys to step in and fill a role like that. And, I mean, Luke Donald's the perfect gentleman to do it, but uh, it's going to be a tall, tall task. Uh, we t- yeah, we talked – I think it was Andy that made the comment. He, we don't want to see the New York fans be the New York fans. That's, that's – that, unfortunately, that I think we're going to still see that, though, in, at Beth Page. Brandon, what do you think? Uh, to the question of Just venues? Luke, Luke, yeah, no, Luke's, Luke's captaincy Luke. first. Yeah, then we'll get to venues. Oh, okay. I, I echo what Jeff said. He he was fantastic, and, and uh, I think there, there's been – guys that have captained multiple times and he's he's just perfect in that role but again he he may get steamrolled at beth page i just i i see the the americans are going to be very very hungry um they're going to learn from lessons and i i think we're going to have this back and forth every every other year of a win by the europeans in europe and a win by the americans in the u.s and but to your second question, I think that's what's going to really be the driver. And the U.S., you know, with all the the uh, stri- strategic things and the meetings I have with the PGA of America, I'm trying to find the right formula for the team and pairings and this and that. I think sticking to venue might be what really ultimately helps the Americans going forward. Bobby? As someone that used to be close to the Ryder Cup and all the little <laughs> idiosyncrasies. I'm not sure how much I can deny or confirm that I know, <laughs> even to this day. Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated to get your feedback on my thought process, um, I guess, especially Babs, really. But um, so, yeah, that was a great question. Where would you hold the, the Ryder Cup in Europe and over here? You know, I don't know about Europe. There's so many great spots. Over here, I'm going to reuse something that I used when I was president of the Mid-Atlantic PGA. And we had all these great courses in Mid-Atlantic, as you know. Yep. And I was president. I remember being in a board meeting one year. And I said, why, why don't we take our, our section championship in, say, five years somewhere out there to, you know, just just a public course, a just something that's downtrodden, just something that could use a spur. Like there's a In the shadow of the uh, Washington Monument, there's a public facility which the name's escaping me right now. Blank, uh, yeah. And yep. has an, an amazing amount of history. Um, just it, it's a, that was what I used as an example. I said, wouldn't it be really cool if one time, just one time, we took the section championship, something like that. It could go to congressional. It could go to all the fancy places. You know, we could take it to a miniature golf place. Whoever is playing well is going to win. So, I, you know, that was in my mind. Like when you said that, I thought, well, that got, be I, I guarantee that got pushed back because of the whole Augusta complex. We only play on the most pristine properties and, and what have yeah, you. Well, I don't want to hijack this, but it, it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid because now you can mobilize with the golf course superintendents and different associations. And really, everybody could get together and watch out, maybe grow the game. Oh, my God. If you did this the right way, just one freaking time, one time, just just have some fun and do it like that and not go to the fancy places. So my, my place for having the Ryder cup would be clear, clear view, clear Lake, no clear view um, in Ken with Renee Powell. Yeah. Like, why not have, why not host it there and help that place? Like think so crazily out of the box. I mean, it'll never happen, but you know, it's going to be fun at Beth page. Um, I think, you know, I, I read something recently that do you really need a, PGA tour player to be a captain? Do they really know what it's about coaching a team? Should you get a Mike Krzyzewski? Should you get a Jim Montgomery for the Boston Bruins? Best record in a hundred games in NHL history. Do you just get a coach that really understands dynamics 
that was a fascinating article. You know, you know, if Tiger goes in there, is Tiger going to be Tiger and just he almost intimidates his own team? I think it's a different dynamic these years than it was years ago. But I think everything's on the table. Some of the dynamics inside the PGA America, some things aren't going to change because they're not going to change. It's going to be frustrating as hell. So it's going to be fascinating. Babs, opinion? Well, you know, so I'm looking this up as we're talking. So the, the future Ryder Cup venues are Adair Manor, mm-hmm. of course, Beth Page, Beth Page Black in 25. We're going to Hazeltine. Yep. So, uh, you know, which I don't think I've ever seen more people on the golf course than the 2016 Ryder Cup. It, it just looked like a sea of people. Uh, the Olympic Club, which is interesting. That's not a bomber's paradise for sure. Um, but I, I do. Yeah, I'd like to see. I think you have to check a lot of boxes now to host a Ryder Cup, right? You got to have a, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of cash, and you got to have a, you got to have a venue where, like Hazeltine, big property, where you can do so much else there. Um, you know, I I think going to the K Club. I went there in 06, and you know, it's an Arnold Palmer design. It's a fine golf course. It's owned by a, a rich, rich guy. But how many better courses were there in Ireland to be that week and, and stage a Ryder Cup? So, um, you know, I, I enjoy where it goes. I think you can play in the park a lot. It'll be entertaining. But to, to get it at the greatest venues, uh, and the Walker Cup is doing that, but they yep. don't have, to have the infrastructure of a Ryder Cup. So, um, yeah, I'm all for the marquee venues. So my, my two and I agree actually, Bob, with what you were suggesting, which is, you know, to have the the average golf course. But if I could pick the two class high end golf courses, I'd I'd, I'd like to see old head in Ireland. I think that would That'd just be, be spectacular. I was gonna say that, but you can only get twelve fans out there. <laughs> well, they may fall off the cliffs. That's that's true. <laughs> or, or and, and maybe only twelve fans at my next one, which is Fisher's Island, or some some just yeah. really cool venue that uh, just showcases the beauty of also the game. Thanks, Royce. You don't work in accounting at PG of America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Walker Cup's done that, right? Walker Cup. We're going to Seminole. It's going to yeah. uh, Cypress Point. St. Andrews, um, it's just hard to do with all the demands of what you what you you have to build a small city. Yeah, yeah, the infrastructure yeah. is is crazy. Yeah, Bob, I'm sure you could tell us more, but it's probably four, five, six year process or more once a venue's picked, right? Oh, at least yeah, it's uh, Bill send the tournament director out there, yeah, five, six, seven years in advance to get embedded and start the whole process. It's 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 such a, as Bab said, you build a city and, you know, it, that's a tricky part where you go course to course around the country versus Augusta does their own thing all the time. But it is, there's millions, there's tens of millions of dollars on the infrastructure building. The, there are unbelievably great courses in this country that deserve to host these amazing events. They got no shot because they just don't have the space. Hey, Jeff, were you at, were you at uh, Kiowa when Phil won? Yes. I mean, from what I was told, because I, I played it, uh would have been in 22, right? He won in 21, I guess. So I played it in 22, and the caddy, we were talking about how they're bussing people in. Oh, God. It's not easy to get people around that yeah. island. No, I think there was a second road supposed to be coming in by then that wasn't built. We, we you know, we didn't stay on the island, so we'd be an hour and 45 minutes on the bus. Um, so it was tough to get people in and out. He had some, I'm going to think when Rory won at Kiowa, he had a little bit of rain, so people were getting stuck in parking lots. and um, was there that place, year? But it's just hard to get people there. That was a year. I had to do a TV interview on site at 6 a.m. We left the hotel at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> With Tam, Tammy Beauclair. Rowing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. Yeah, but I think I I went I went to Kiowa um, for the final round with my dad. Um, and despite the transportation parking thing, it, it's a little clunky. 
I think they really, this last one, they really, really did a good job. And, and it's just fascinating to me how they put the merchandising together and all the hospitality stuff together. And, um, and then not to mention the golf course and even the range, how the range was set up was, was pretty cool. Hmm. It was a neat place. And we had plenty of drama with Phil winning. So, yeah. you know, cool spot, good golf course. So, so Bob, make, make, call your connections. Uh, we would like to help select the next future Ryder Cup locations. <laughs> Again, can, you, right now. can you can you make that happen for us? Yeah, I'll start to text right now. <laughs> yeah, I think the next opening is about nineteen forty-five. You know, two thousand forty-five. Yeah, we'll be picking out the Champions Tour uh, Ryder Cup version at, for that at that point. All right, guys. Anyway, nineteenth hole. Uh, Mr. Elliot. Well, before we get there, do you have the hot seat questions by chance? I know Andy usually does. No, I don't. So Jeff's off the hook. Hey, I I have them. Oh, you do? I live on the hot seat. I can't. uh... Yeah, he's been been on the hot seat, hasn't he? I don't know. Uh, I I have the questions if you want them. Fire fire a few out. Let's do that. I don't think quick on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> Give me time well, to Google. We'll we'll keep it generic. We'll keep it uh, we'll keep it to nine holes. You know, kind of a quickie. Um, and you guys can help too. But I, I think Andy's one was uh, what's the, what's the lowest round of golf you've ever shot? No, for me. Yeah, I shot a. Uh, here you go. I shot fifty eight at par sixty Paul Harney Golf Course. Yes. Oh, in Hatchville, Mass. So, yeah, that's a great one. Well, um, I shot fifty-eight. Nothing to it. Piece of cake. <laughs> Favorite course you ever played? Ooh, probably, probably Augusta. Just the feeling, feeling the. But I, you know, for one that people can play, Kings Barnes, maybe. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, what was uh, another one is, uh, well, it was what three courses have you not played that you would love to play? Probably Fisher's Island, uh, Cypress Point, and I don't know what the other one would be. Probably something on, something on Long Island I haven't been to. Bobby? <laughs> trying to think of the other questions i well the other one was your favorite golfer oh yeah yeah oh okay yeah yeah right golfer just to deal with or to watch not oh, just your favorite all-time golfer. i've had a lot of, i've had a lot of fun through the years watching and watching the roller coaster that he can be is ernie Els. Ooh. Ooh. Swing, love to swing love his honesty uh you know Knew him when he was sleeping on the floor with caddies and hotels playing mini tours. So, um, I don't know. It's been fun to watch his whole voyage. Nice. Okay. What's the, what do you think? Who's your top three golfers of all time? Man, lady, anything? Ooh, I would go Jack, Tiger, and Mickey Wright. That was yours, Bobby. That was mine. Was it? <laughs> yeah. I thought you would have had a Wemet slipped in there somewhere. Yeah, you know, could could happen. Uh, let's see. Do you think Bill Belichick will be coaching the <laughs> No, <laughs> no. I think one of us four would be a better coach right now, and a far better GM. The hoodie is uh, maybe he's lost his touch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got one too. <laughs> take a photo of you three hoodies um yeah shoot i'm trying to think of the other ones i have it written down in the other room uh Who, wasn't one of them uh oh. your your dream foursome oh yeah right yeah oh boy dream foursome i'll go uh my dad bobby jones and what are the great history we'll let we'll let jack tee it up for the Arnie. I'm sorry, Arnie. Yeah. Back in the day. Strong. That's a good one. 
I can't remember it in the other ones. Oh, I know the last one. How many okay. home ones? Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. So I have one with like an asterisk. So I always float this one out there. I, I do have a double eagle. Nice. An island. But I only, my only, uh, and you'll laugh at this because you probably played it, is I, I got a hole in one at the Lynx at 434, which is a little, <laughs> it was a lighted par three. Awesome. Fun of sandwich. And it was like 110 yards. And I always say, yeah, I can't really count that. I don't really have a hole in one. And everyone's like, oh, you got to count that. It's at 18 holes. You got all, you know, so I don't know. It's got an asterisk. Count it. I don't know. Count I it. count it. I count it. Never had one. But so <laughs> I, I had a plaque it. on the wall. Now it's like a skate skate park or something. So yep. <laughs> I'll never do it again. You have survived. Andy's butch Andy's butchered hot seat. <laughs> we, we it's only a it. warm seat today. <laughs> I return to my question, Mr. Elliot, nineteenth hole, final thoughts, sir. My final thought, I'm I'm a diehard Tiger fan, and I have a little bit of what Andy said last week about here we go again. But you know, I'm not gonna get my hopes up this time but I'm still going to be rooting for him pretty hard. And, I, and I'll be honest, I watch a little golf. I would do, you know, I read up on it. I read stuff online. I check the leaderboards, but I watch little golf unless Tiger's on TV. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then Jeff just put this crazy thought in my head about Tiger and Charlie playing on the PG, in a PGA Tour event <laughs> together. So that's my final that. Um, yeah, I had a couple here. Uh, you know, I, I read something this last week um, that it, it's hard to play golf at a level. It's hard to, it's amazingly hard to play tournament golf. Se senior tour, regular PGA tour golf is a whole nother level. It's just so hard. And this Australian uh, pro, John Senden, for the last 18 months, he's been playing golf with symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Oh. I can't even fathom that, that he's can play out there. So I just want to send good wishes. And I mean, it's just amazing to see somebody like that out there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Like how, competitive. you know, we all know how tough it is at the tour level. Um, it's just incredible. And I mean, the other thing was uh, this week here in Kentucky, the weather was getting into the twenties and 30. And it reminded me of the, the days playing golf at Hillview country club or as, as Babs and Alan, you know, the phrase down the Cape. Um, when the snow would be flying up in the northern parts of New England. And um, there's something special about just walking the course, taking a few clubs, playing in the cold weather, playing cross-country golf. That's always fun. Um, so when the weather gets cold, it's still, t it's still time to play golf. You mean that picture of me with my uh, toque yeah. on and uh, yes. walking through the woods? Yes. <laughs> Looks like you're on a hike. But, yeah, it, sometimes people put the clubs away in the winter. But, no, just – Take a few yep. clubs, go walk five holes, whatever. Temporary greens. Yeah. Yep. Jeff. All right, for the nineteenth hole. So I have I bring zero inside knowledge to this, but huge hot rumor right now that John Rahm yeah. might jump over to the live tour. Yeah. And I, I that's one that's a player I enjoy watching a whole lot. I, I just got to do the uh the profile on him for next year's master's journal and really enjoyed talking to John listening to, you know, how much that guy loves the history of the game and everything about the game. And I just, I hope it doesn't happen. I understand if it happens because the money is going to be monopoly money levels. It's going to be, you know, owning 10 park places and here's your family's, you know, here's the pile that your grandkids, grandkids won't spend. But, um, yep. I just hope it wasn't. It won't happen because I just think it'll throw golf into. It'll just divide it more and build a bigger chasm, and it just cause more chaos and confusion. And kind of hoping in twenty four, we can get to less chaos and confusion, and all these guys can get in a room and figure something out. Agreed. Agreed. That'd be nice. Yeah. So, so mine, I'm going to actually finish with a trivia question. So first of all, as you know, I was, like I said, I was out in Michigan. So on my slide deck was number of golf courses by state. Can you guys name the top five courses by state? 
Who has the most golf courses of any state? Texas. Well, Michigan's up there. Florida. Florida's number one. Texas is actually number five. California second. California's number two. Where's Michigan? Michigan number three. Behind? Yeah, number Michigan three. Eight hundred and sixty golf courses. Yeah, yeah Michigan. Twelve, twelve, twelve thirty-eight in Florida. Nine sixty-four in California. Eight sixty in uh, Michigan. And you're missing number four. New York. New York. Yeah. Eight hundred and thirty. That crazy. Like of the top ten. Half of them are in the northern uh, lakes region. The Wisconsin's, Ohio's, Michigan, New York. It's a lot of the older courses of their older honors been around for 100 plus years. Little nine hole yep. munis. Yep. Yep. And and I said this to, to an owner uh, while I was there that unlike in the south, you get a good day in the north, you appreciate that. You go, oh, like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because wait 10 minutes. The weather's going to change. <laughs> yeah. Michigan's got some great golf. They really do. Really, really do. That's all I got. Anybody else? Anything? Have Thanks again, Bob, for joining. Yeah. Yeah. Good to join you guys. Here's my dream foursome. There we <laughs> go. At Augusta. At Augusta. Right. <laughs> play Ponka Pog. Babs will play the old Ponka Pog. Ponky. Fuck. Until next week, boys. You only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30 plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.